All right, well, good morning, Doc's Church. Guys, go ahead and grab a seat. Um, hey, we have a, a lot of ground to cover today, so why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible as well and find your way to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 13. Okay, this is week 24 of a 20 week. 28-week series through this great historical text. So we have uh, four more weeks to round out this gospel and wrap it up, and then we're going to be shifting gears as we head into the fall semester. And I know that some of you guys are really type A, and you're like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing next? All right? And I'm not going to tell you, okay? So I'm going to make you stress out about that. It'll be good for your control issues, okay? But, okay, but if we haven't had a chance to meet, or if you're, you're new, my name is Rob, one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to have you part of, of the Doxa family today. So one of the things that we do every time that we gather like this, guys, is we, we open up our voices to praise God. We sing that song, praise the Lord. So we want to do that and honor and glorify God. But in addition to that, every time that we gather, we open up the Bible and hear from him. And so before we jump into the Bible, uh, let me just say this, okay? Guys, when it comes to the Bible, we, we really believe that this is a book that God wrote, all right, depending on your, your upbringing, your experience with the church, Christianity, like we might have different views of, of this book. But I want you to know that this is not just like a, a religious book. This is not like a moralistic book or a philosophical book or just a mere historical book. But this is a book that's actually filled with the very words of God, that God actually speaks to us through this book. And subsequently, because this is true, what we do is, is we listen to all that he has to say. All right, and we, we seek to understand what he teaches, and by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to repent of our sin, to renew our minds, and really become the men and women that God has created us to be. And so this is kind of like the normal rhythm of how we follow Jesus here together. Not so interested in, in doing like the church game thing, but really kind of like seeing who God is, who he's made us to be, and then following him, thereby becoming the men and women he's made us to be. And so, guys, all that to say, I want you to know that the Bible, it's, it's not primarily about us, okay? We live in a, a world that's like obsessed with self, right? It's a very egocentric thing where we think everything's about us. This book is, is not primarily about us, but it's for us. You understand this? All right, that the Bible is, is ultimately about God. And in it, it says that human history and life on earth as, as we know it comes from God, that, that you just need to understand that we are all created by God. We're here to live our lives for and with God, and one day, every single one of us will pass through this life into the next. We will actually die, and every single one of us will stand before God to give an account on the life that we live. And so all of our lives, guys, are to be interpreted in light of what we read in the Bible, and the Bible helps us to understand the past, the present, and the future of our lives and the world that we live in, and this is gonna be exceedingly important for us to remember as we hear the words of Jesus here in Mark chapter 13. All right, because the theological category that we find ourselves dealing with today in Mark chapter 13 revolves around this big theological world called eschatology, all right? In eschatology, it's this big word, you might not know what it is, but really what it means, it's the study of the last things or a study of end times, that today Jesus is going to talk to us about what is going to happen in the future as we approach the end of all things. And so if this is your first time to doxa or your first time to church in a while, you picked an interesting Sunday, we're talking about the end of the world as we know it, okay? So welcome to doxa, okay? We're going to buckle up. We don't do this every week, but we do teach the Bible. But I want you to know, all right, this is why we, we teach the Bible the way that we do. Our, our propensity as a church is really just to go through books of the Bible, kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we don't want to skip the hard stuff. 
Right? I would have never woken up this week and be like, you know what I should do? I should teach about the end of time and the judgment of Jesus and everyone will like it and their families will come back and it'll be great, right? But we want it. We know, guys, that every word in this book is breathed out by God and it's good for us. And so God has something for us today to encourage us and to help us. But the topic of eschatology, right, the study of end times can either produce like a lot of security in our lives or a lot of anxiety. That as you think about like kind of the end of time, you're feeling something and it revolves around your understanding of the man Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer as I walked up on this stage as I drove here this morning, it's my prayer that as we would leave here, that we would leave with a greater understanding of who Jesus is and filled with hope and comfort and security rather than fear and anxiety. So that being said, let's get into this. Mark chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1. And here's what we got. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Okay, so we'll, we'll pause there, but here's what's happening. All right, if you've been following along, you, you remember kind of our journey over the last several chapters, but preceding this section, Jesus has had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem He's prophesied destruction for the nation of Israel and cursing the fig tree. He cleansed the temple. He entered into debates with like the religious establishment at the time, which he consistently won. And then last week we saw in chapter 12, he exalted the poor widow and her offering. And then he passed judgment on the religious leadership of Israel. He left the temple for the last time. And ahead of Jesus, the cross is awaiting. And as Jesus walks out of the temple for the last time, one of his disciples is with him. They're looking around and saying like, man, isn't this place wonderful? And like, it's, it's, it's just great. It's, it's beautiful. And they make this comment. It's, it's this comment that leads to this discourse here in Mark chapter 13. So if, you've been, if you're familiar with your Bible, you've been around the church, this, this chapter is called the Olivet Discourse. And it comes right after the disciples make this comment of how great the temple is is in Jesus, he just says, as great and beautiful and majestic as this place is, it's gonna all come crashing down and it's all gonna be destroyed. Now, we have to do a little bit of work here because when we say temple, for, for many of us today, when we think about the temple, it might not mean anything to you. But in our text here, guys, this is a really, really big deal. And so what we need is kind of like a, a baseline understanding of what the temple is and what it represents so we can understand what Jesus is actually saying and what the disciples are, are actually feeling in this moment, okay? But if you are familiar with your Bible, the temple was created based upon God's decree hundreds of years prior to this moment that we find ourselves here in Mark. In the temple, as we consider this historical place, was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. It was located on, on Mount Moriah, all right, which just made it towering above Jerusalem. And from a distance, it looked like a glowing mountain. All right, it was made of white stone. It was this massive thing, but also it was just covered with layers of gold and silver. 
And when we look at written history, there's an ancient historian named Josephus, and Josephus actually states that the size and the beauty of this structure were just incomparable at the time. And so he, he comments as he writes that the, the foundation stones were as big as boxcars in and of themselves, and when the sun would shine on the temple, it could be so bright that you either had to squint or look away. And so what we're talking about when we're talking about the temple is this like magnificent structure. But hear me on this. It wasn't just this big, beautiful building, but for the Jews, the temple was the holiest place on earth. All right, that for the Jews, it represented faith and focus, and it was the place where God said that he would actually meet with his people. And in addition to this, the temple was where the Old Testament sacrifices would be made by the high priests to, to mediate the sin of, of the people before God. And so overall, guys, the temple is where the nation of Israel found its collective identity and community. It was this really significant place for the Jews. And so with that understanding, when Jesus says, it's gonna be destroyed, this would have been shocking. All right, the disciples, as they heard this, it would immediately have triggered in their mind the end of the world. And you could look back at these first four verses and be like, I don't know if that's in here, but I want to show you this, okay? In Matthew's account of this Olivet Discourse, he actually shows us that they were thinking this. Because the Jews couldn't, uh, the disciples, they couldn't like think about a world without the dominating presence of the temple. And here's what Matthew records in Matthew 24, 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so you just need to see this. These two things in the disciples' mind were connected. They were swollen around. That if the temple is going to be destroyed, then what will happen and how will we know when this is going to happen and the end of the world will happen? And so inherent in the question, as Mark records it here, is this wider matter of the end of the world. Because the disciples are clearly connecting these two events. But Jesus, on the other hand, he actually doesn't link these two events together at all. But what he does is he takes this question posed by his disciples and he uses it, uses it as an opportunity to talk about both the destruction of the temple and the end of all things. Okay, so Jesus says that the temple is going to be destroyed. The disciples ask what the sign will be, and here's what Jesus says. Take a look at verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, Doxa, here's how we need to read this, okay? We need to read Jesus' words here using bifocals, okay? That to understand what Jesus is teaching, we need to understand that there's, there's some telescoping done here. That Jesus kind of zooms in and then he kind of zooms out with what he's talking about. That he's talking, he zooms into like the near future and then he kind of zooms out to look to the far future, and so Jesus is requiring us to really just put on bifocals. Someone say bifocals. No, don't do that. Okay. So <laughs> I, Nate does it all the time. Everybody thinks it's so cool. I was like, I tried it at the first service, and I was like, that didn't feel cool. And then I was like, I'll do it again, but I'm never going to do it again. Okay. So anyway, they got bifocals, okay? 
Where am I at? Bifocals, all right? If you have bifocals or you know someone with bifocals, you know that they help you to see both near and far, right? Depending on how you're looking through them. And what we're seeing here is that Jesus is talking about events that are very near to his day right there. Events that are gonna happen within 40 years after his death with the destruction of the temple, but then he's also speaking into the very distant future about his second coming and the end of human history. And so look back to verse four. The disciples ask, what will be the sign for all of this? And you notice Jesus doesn't actually give them this sign until verse 14, but he starts by giving them a number of different signs. And Jesus, he's, he doesn't start by charting out like an explanation of when all this is gonna happen, but he voices a concern in verses five and six. And he says, I don't want you to be deceived and I don't want you to be disheartened. All right, because Jesus knows that there's gonna be all kinds of things happening past his death. He knows that after he dies that there's gonna be people that are gonna show up, they're gonna start teaching false things, they're gonna start declaring that the time of the end is at hand, and he says, don't follow them. Don't follow their teachings. And I, and I think that there's a chance that you could be sitting here being like, what the heck does this have to do with me and Madison today? And that is a very fair question, but I want you to understand this, guys. We are all surrounded by false teaching and false teachers, okay? If you didn't know that, you need to know this. Doxa, you need to know that not every spiritual leader and not every religion tells the truth. And I know that some of you, you're, you're cringing because this is so wildly controversial for me to say in our day and especially in our city. But please understand that it's not enough to be spiritual, you also have to be truthful. You have to be truthful. And Jesus says here that there are false religions and there are false teachers and spiritual influencers who will come in and they will lead people astray. And what he's getting at is he's pointing to the reality that false teachers tend to prey on people's emotions. Have you seen this? They absolutely tend to prey on people's emotions. And in these days, after the temple was destroyed, people were going like, they were just emotionally wrecked. They were really scared, they were in a vulnerable spot because life as they knew it was over. The temple was gone, so their identity was kinda gone, their religion, their celebrations, their place of worship, spirituality, everything forever changed. And it led to a lot of confusion among people, a lot of anxiety, and these people were wondering like, what is, what is next? And again, I'll propose to you guys that what they were feeling in that day is not too far off of what a lot of people feel today. Guys, we live in a world that is just in turmoil. We live in a world of confusion, anxiety, times are tough, right? We thought we're out of it, right, with like the COVID being done and we're back to normal, right? And then we realize there's still a ton of stuff going on. And then you got the election coming up and you're like, come Lord Jesus, I don't know if I can do this, right? But there's just stuff happening in our world. You watch the news. And even in like, like my non-Christian friends who don't give a rip about God, they watch the news and they're like, this is the end of the world. I think everything is just sucks. This is terrible, right? And Jesus is pointing out that when that happens, there's an opportunity for false teachers to come in and to give a false hope and to lead people astray. And as we look at history, guys, this would prove to be true in the near, in the days of Jesus leading up to the destruction of the temple. 
but it's also true in the far, including our very own day. And what's interesting, guys, if you study world religions and you study history, it's not just interesting, but it's actually really sad that many major religious founders, major, of the, major religion founders, guys, they have fulfilled this prophecy of Jesus. That many of today's religions were founded by men who came into an unstable world with people feeling discombobulated, anxious, and they went to these people and they say, I know that this is the end. I know how the end is coming. I know when it's gonna happen. And they say to people, look around, isn't it bad? I have the answer, follow me. And people just follow them. And it's wild. And I don't know if these people were like malicious in their intent or if they were just wildly deceived and a little bit crazy, but I'll give you a few examples, okay? Every few months I get a knock on my door, all right, from a couple of men from the Jehovah Witnesses, which is a cult that broke off of, of Christianity. But they have a building right down the street from my house and, and they come and they try and convince me that I need to come to their gatherings. And every time that they come, guys, we have like a really nice conversation. Honestly, they're, they're really sweet guys, they're, they're winsome. And if I didn't know better, I would think that I needed to join them because of the truths that they were sharing with me as they stood on my front porch. But the reality is, in 1914, the Jehovah's Witnesses with the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society predicted the second coming of Jesus in 1914. And they've actually done this at over a dozen times in the past, but obviously, every single time, they're wrong. And guys, I, I need to tell you this, this is what Jesus is talking about. It's false teaching. And it's dangerous because people follow it and then they find themselves far away from God and his truths. This is the warning that Jesus is talking about. Another example is the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith. All right, that in 1835, Joseph Smith, he, he called a meeting of all of his church leaders to tell them that he had recently had a conversation with God. And during that conversation, God told him that Jesus would return in the next 56 years at which time the end of the world would come promptly. And if you look at the doctrines and covenants of Mormonism, which contain kind of the revelations given to Joseph Smith, it says in section 130 that the end of the world would come by the conclusion of his life. Guys, it's false teaching. This is what Jesus warns about, and he predicted. Some of you, maybe in just a, a decade in the past, you've heard of a sun, young moon, Right? The, the leader of the Unification Church in South Korea had this massive following. Or maybe you've heard of Jose Luis de Jesus Mar Miranda that down in Miami. Started this movement, a big church, a lot of people following him. Both of these men stood up before thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and declared, I am the second coming of Jesus. And they claimed to be the Messiah. But we know that in 2012, Moon died. In 2013, Miranda died. And the deception of their teachings were exposed. Guys, this is what Jesus is talking about. And some people, even within Christianity today, guys, they have these crazy late-night television shows. Have you seen any of those? Right, they have their own YouTube channel. They got a bunch of weird books written. 
and they work everybody up and they get them so anxious and then they ask them for money. And I'll tell you guys, this is a free one. If you are into that stuff and like you're looking at like a guy on a YouTube channel that's down in his basement with a whiteboard behind him and has a bunch of numbers predicting the end of the world, stay away from that guy, okay? That's the guy that Jesus is talking about. Pray for him, but stay away from him. Certainly don't give him any money. Buy some backpacks. We only got 20, okay? But (laughs) guys, the point is this. There are false teachers everywhere, and Jesus is warning his disciples not to follow any of them. So, Doxa, one of my jobs as a pastor here is simply just to say and to help ensure that you're not deceived. Don't get deceived. Because this is the reason why one of our core values here is to be Bible-saturated, right? And we talk about this all the time, that if we, if you prick us, we bleed, right? And I know if you're new, that sounds a little cultish, but you know, this is like the truth of how we live. We need a true north. Everybody has an idea. Everybody has a philosophy. This is God's word, and it becomes our true north. And we want to be saturated in his word so we know who we are, who he is in the world that we live in. So Jesus says to watch out for these false teachers in these days, but he also talks about wars and famines and natural disasters if you look back. And again, we need bifocal perspective here because Jesus says, coming shortly, in the next few years after his death, all the way to the end of the age, there's going to be catastrophic events, there's going to be global sufferings, but he says, again, don't be deceived, don't be disheartened thinking that this is the end because this has always happened and it's going to continue to happen all throughout the end of the world. And this is because of sin. And Jesus says this because he knows that it's going to be so easy for people to think about the end of the world as they experience war and natural disasters. But guys, the truth is, war has always been with us. It, it really has. All right, there's a historian. His name is Will Durant. He wrote this, and I quote, War is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. In the last 3,421 years of recorded human history, only 268 have seen no war. And that's not taking into account unrecorded history. The reality is is that there has never been a minute without wars because sin is a very real part of our world. But when war comes, guys, it's so easy for people to think apocalyptically that the end is here. For you history buffs, right, this is how the Russians felt in the, in the Napoleonic Wars. This is how believers felt in Germany in 1945. And this is all natural, but it's not necessarily pointing to the end. And the same is true with natural disasters. And it's so interesting, when you, when you do look at history, during the years between Jesus' death and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there were a lot of disasters, a lot of these things that Jesus was talking about. There was a terrible earthquake in Laodicea. Mount Vesuvius just leveled and buried Pompeii. There was an actual famine in Rome itself, but none of this meant the end of all things. None of it did. Because the point is this, Jesus is warning us not to be deceived and not to be disheartened. That all of the stuff that we feel and see in this world is a result of mankind's sin and it will continue on to the end of time. And that's why Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. And he says, look back to verse eight, that all of these things, and I love this, he says all of these things, they're not dying pains, but they're birthing pains. 
And if you're familiar with your Bible, this echoes Paul in Romans chapter eight, right? It's these birth pains. And Jesus, as he talks about birth pains, here's how we need to think about this, okay? As I was thinking about this week, guys, I don't know if there's anything worse in this life than pointless pain, right? But pain that's connected to a point or a purpose is so different. And so childbirth, right? You think about this. Giving birth, and it wasn't too bad for me. It was just kind of gross. But my wife was in agony, right? It was painful. And she went through this pain, but there was a point. There was a purpose. And the minute that she had that baby put into her arms, it all became worth it. Guys, Jesus is saying that the strife and the pain and the woes that we experience in life will give birth to a whole new world. A world that will be brand new, without tears, without suffering, without sin, better than anything that we can imagine. And this is the day that we look for, right, Christian? And that's why Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't be disheartened, but be on guard. And so he says, this is what's gonna happen in the world. But then he turns in verse nine and he says, this is what's happening around you, but now here's what's gonna happen to you. Look at verse nine, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour for it is not you who speak. But I want you to circle this in your Bible. I love this. But the Holy Spirit, verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says there's gonna be persecution and those who follow Jesus are gonna have people coming after them and even killing him. And he looks at his disciples and he says, the persecution is gonna be unleashed on you and all of my followers, from Jews, from Gentiles, and even family. That the Jews are gonna come after the Christians for blasphemy because they worship Jesus as God. The Gentiles are gonna come after Christians because they disregard the pantheon of Roman gods and only worship the one true God. And family members will disown them because they are now part of a new family through faith in Jesus. And some of you, you have felt that. I know that, and some of you Salt Company students, you become Christians and you go home and your parents don't even want you in the house again because they think that you are just like crazy and you're claiming Jesus and they don't want anything to do with you. But the truth is, guys, when we think about persecution, we don't know much about this in terms of experiencing it in our country that in the United States, much of the persecution that we can experience is offensive, but it's not life-threatening, right? That we have people that find out that you become a Christian and all of a sudden they don't wanna to talk to you anymore. They stop calling you to go get a beer. They find, you get people that in your neighborhood that find out that you're a Christian and all of a sudden like the whole neighborhood's invited to a backyard bar barbecue in someone's backyard and you're sitting on the porch in your rocking chair wondering where everybody's at, right? <laughs> That's the type of persecution that we oftentimes experience. You know, I have a friend that she works in the hospital and she told me the other day that she has to be very careful with the way that she talks to her patients because if there's any Jesus talk, she'll get fired. 
Because we experience that type of stuff. But I, I need you to understand, if we would just get out of like our American bubble, there is in fact a much worse type of persecution found throughout the world where people are actually losing their lives. And if you want to learn more about this, there's a, a great book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, but you can also go to per- persecution.org. This is a, a website that you can receive like newsletters to be updated on how like our brothers and sisters all around the world are being killed and oppressed and tortured and how we can actually pray for them and even help them from their dire situation. But we might never experience this because I, I have friends that have. I went to seminary with a guy, his name is Ricks. He's a pastor now, but he came from India and how he got here was his dad first became a Christian. And it was taboo and they didn't talk about it. The whole family started following Jesus and it was very hush-hush. One day, his dad left the Bible on the kitchen table. Someone walked past and looked in the window, saw the Bible on the table, and the next thing you know, Ricks was watching his dad get drug out of the house by a mob of men and beat. And somehow, his, him and his sisters and mom got away. They came and somehow landed in Finley, Ohio. Okay, so that's where they're at. But he's a pastor and now trying to make disciples so that he can go back and share the gospel with the people who did that to his dad because he knows that God loves him. Another friend who's a pastor in Milwaukee. Similar story. He was in uh, one of the armies of the nation he was living in overseas, got blown up by a landmine, and as he was out cold, he said that Jesus came to him in a dream and said, if you die right now, you're gonna spend eternity apart from me, but I'm gonna bring you back, follow me. He became a Christian as he woke up in the hospital, started following Jesus, and started traveling around Israel and all that, and trying to share the gospel with people until he was being hunted down. And he was fine with it for a while, but then they started coming after his kids and his wife, and so he ended up coming to Milwaukee, and now he's doing a ton to reach the international population around there with the hope of going back. This is real. And some researchers have estimated that more than 70 million Christians have given their lives for their witness to Jesus. 45 million in the 20th century. And in the last decade, there was an average of 270 new Christian martyrs every 24 hours. And Jesus just says, this is coming. He tells his disciples it's persecution, and he tells his disciples that some of you are in fact gonna die. And from recorded history, we know that all the apostles except for John died a violent death of martyrdom. And Jesus says, this is coming in the near, but both in the far future. And I know that this might just seem inconceivable for you to think that we would ever experience anything like this. But as I've been thinking about this, guys, I don't think this is inconceivable. You know, as you just kind of look at where culture is going and legislation is going and the world is going, I think that there could be a day when those who believe the teachings of the Bible to be true are seen as breaking the laws of the land. It's not impossible. And that shouldn't terrify us, but Jesus is giving this to prepare us. Because in the midst of this, here's what you need to remember. Look back at verse 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Amen? Jesus gives them this truth that God is sovereign over all. And he's never going to abandon his people. And if you look back to verse 11, he says, the Holy Spirit of God is with you and he will help you. 
And that the Holy Spirit of God is a helper, a guide, a counselor, and a strength. And so Jesus is saying, they may take your stuff, they may take your status, they may take your family, they might even take your life, but they can't take the eternal life that's waiting for you with God. And this again echoes Romans chapter 8 where Paul asks, what can separate us from the love of God? And he lists out all these things and he says, nothing can. And so Christian, even today, I want you to be reminded of the goodness of the gospel that secures your future forever. God doesn't lose Christians. There's nothing you got did to gain your salvation. There's nothing you're going to do to lose it. And people can't take it from you. And this is what Jesus is saying. Take comfort in that. And he will lead us to a day that everything will be eternally wonderful. Doxa, in the gospel, we have a message of hope, help, and healing because Jesus is alive. Jesus is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And he is with us. He is for us. And everything we need and everything we long for will be fulfilled in him. Amen? And so having warned them, his disciples, of all this, he gives them the sign that they asked about concerning the destruction of the temple. He says in verse 14, take a look. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. What Jesus does is he gets very specific here about the sign that the disciples asked about in verse 4. And he says, you will know when the disciple is going to be destroyed when you see the abomination of desolation. Now, if you were here months ago when we went through the book of Daniel, this should immediately trigger you to be thinking about chapter 9 of Daniel and chapter 11 of Daniel, because this was a similar language. And the disciples of this time, they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about when it has this idea of the abomination of desolation. It uh, points to a figure that would come and desecrate the temple. Now, there are many different scholarly opinions as to the precise meaning of of that term abomination of desolation, but there is a general agreement that it refers to some sort of desecration or destruction of the temple. And I want you to know that this prophecy of the future happened just as Jesus said. That around AD 70, the Romans, under the rule of Emperor Titus, sieged Jerusalem. And the temple was brought down. And the ancient historians Josephus and Tacitus, they both recorded this from an eyewitness perspective and they confirm that this actually happened just as Jesus promised. In fact, Josephus actually goes into great detail about this and said this siege lasted a couple months, that everybody inside Jerusalem was cut off from water and food, they were starving to death and people actually became cannibals. And Josephus says that upwards of a million people died during this siege. Tacitus says that might be a little too much, but he says at least 500,000 people died. But regardless, guys, it was a terrible, terrible thing, just as Jesus predicted. And if you look back to verse 14, Jesus is giving this warning, and he says, in parentheses, right, you look, 
Let the reader understand. Did anybody read that and be like, I wonder what that means? Right? Guys, here's what this is about. Jesus is giving this warning so that the people reading this at the time of the Roman siege in AD 70 would know what was coming and that they could get out. And Jesus says, run to the mountains. And as he gives this advice, you just need to know that this is contrary to the conventional wisdom of the time. That in times of invasion during this time period, people didn't flee to the mountains. They would go to the walled cities because this was viewed as the safest place. And this is what happened when Rome invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Everybody ran to Jerusalem to be safe. And 1.1 million Jews died in that invasion. It was horrible. But hear this. The Christians who listened to the words of Jesus were not there. That they listened to Jesus and they escaped this judgment. And here's what you need to know, Doxa. This was a day of judgment. That I want you to understand that God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of holiness and justice and wrath. He's both. And the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was judgment and wrath from God. And you might ask why. Like, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Like, why would God do that? But here's what I want you to see. All right, if you remember back to Mark chapter 11, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And you remember what happens when Jesus shows up into Jerusalem? He weeps. Do you remember this? Everybody kind of saw Jesus, but they closed their eyes and they rejected him. And in Jesus, he came, and they had all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. They saw him perform miracles. They listened to him teach. They listened to him proclaim that he was God. They saw him fulfill these prophecies, and, but they closed their eyes to Jesus. They rejected him, and they ultimately killed him. And because of their rejection, there was a judgment on Jerusalem, and there was judgment on the temple, just like there will be judgment on nations and cities and families and religions and cults and ideologies that reject Jesus today. And guys, this is an unsettling truth. But this is a truth that we need to know. God is so patient and kind. He's so good. He's perfect and he's holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin, which we all have. And the judgment of God, the wrath of God is coming for sin one day. Jesus will come back and he will eradicate sin forever. This is Jesus being kind to us to help us to know how to escape the effects of sin. But put your bifocals back on. All right, Jesus gives the disciples the answer to their question about the near future, the destruction of the temple, but then he telescopes out further into the future. Verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken and then, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This is Daniel language pointing to Jesus. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Okay, this is simply the second coming of Jesus, the final judgment of mankind after the destruction of the temple where God will ultimately finalize heaven and hell and bring about a new heaven and new earth. All right, and this doesn't happen instantly because like the Bible says, God is patient and he's slow to anger 
And just like God was patient with Israel after Jesus was killed, to have a change of heart, a change of mind, and trust Jesus, God is patient with us today. All right, just hear me on this, guys. God gave Jerusalem some 40 years after Jesus was killed before he brought the judgment on the temple. And just like that, God has been patient for a few thousand years as we wait for the second coming of Jesus and the sentencing of all people either to eternally be with Jesus in heaven forever or to be eternally apart from him, which is a terrible reality of hell. But I need you to understand that God is so patient and so loving with us. He's giving us time. I mean, some of you, you are here and you are alive today because God is trying to get your attention. You are rejecting Jesus and he has brought you here today. Not by coincidence. It's not because your girlfriend said this is our next step. You're here because God loves you. And he's trying to help you to see Jesus. He's trying to help you to understand your need for Jesus so you can escape the wrath of God that is coming for sin. He loves you. It's not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Come to him today. This is what this is all about. Do you see how much, why, why we put so much emphasis on being an inviter? We're not worried about inviting people to come be part of this group right here for the sake that we can get more backpacks and better lights and a fog machine or anything like that. We're trying to invite people to come to know Jesus and enter into the family of God. To know the Savior Jesus like we know. Because it's, it's not a game. It's not just like a fairy tale book that gives us something to preoccupy our life with. This is the truth of God for us. And here's what's true. Verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lessons. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And here's what I believe that Jesus is getting at. Guys, since the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there's nothing else that needs to happen for the return of Jesus. That it can happen at any time. And that's awesome for Christians. Like, get the band up here, praise the Lord. But extremely scary and sad for everyone who would reject Jesus today. And while he's saying this, guys, the purpose is not to give us like a time chart or table of events, but really to start to strengthen and to sustain our faith. The big point of Jesus here is to start and strengthen faith. He's not giving us like some esoteric information on eschatology, but he's actually trying to start and strengthen faith. And so here's what we're to do with this. Jesus actually gives us an application in verse 32. Look, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So stay away from the guy in his basement that's telling you when the end of the world is coming. He doesn't know. Only the Father knows. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come home in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Because as we wrap this up, I want you to see how Luke puts this account. All right, take a look. In Luke 21, here's how he words it. He says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. 
This is the issue. To stand before the Son of Man. In this context, guys, to stand is, means to stand in like confident approval and acceptance. All right, Hebrews 4.16 says that through faith in Jesus, we have confidence. We can draw near to the throne of God with boldness because of what Jesus has done in our life. And I need you to understand that there will be a day that every single person will stand before Jesus as judge. And if you're with him through faith, this is gonna be the best day of your life and you will have salvation for eternity. But if you have not and you've rejected him, you will still stand before him. But it won't be for salvation, but it'll be for condemnation and damnation. And guys, this is not, I need you to know my heart. Some of you, you don't know me. I'm not the hellfire and brimstone guy that has a fire shirt that's downtown throwing stuff at people and yelling. I'm saying this with love in my heart. I love you. And that's why we're telling you this today. And you might think, you don't even know me. How would you love me? I might not know you, but I know God and he loves you and I love what God loves. And you just need to know this. You need to know this. You are loved by God. You're here because he wants to save your life. If you don't know Jesus, come to Jesus today. Experience this salvation. This whole discourse really just lends itself to under us to ask the question, where do I stand with God? Because the big idea is this, is that Jesus is coming back and we will either stand before him as savior through our faith or we will be swept away from him by our rejection. And so if you have not come to Jesus, come to Jesus today. There's no magical way to do this. Jesus, you're God. I'm not. I have sin in my life. I can't take care of it. Jesus, I'm asking you to take my sin and give me your righteousness and I'll follow you. Pray that prayer. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to to understand we need. And if you are a Christian, here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you the same thing that Jesus says. Stay awake. Watch yourself. Watch your sin. Our sin can be so deceptive and can tear us away from Jesus. Watch the teachings that you follow. Guys, open up your Bible and know God. Be with God. Love God. Live for God. Leverage your life for him. And as you're doing all that, just pray and ask God for help. I might be the weakest guy in here, but it's hard to live faithfully with Jesus every day. Am I right? Sin is very real. I have sin in my past, my present, and I have sin in my future that I haven't got to yet, but I assure you I will. And I constantly need the grace of God and just saying, help me. Pray and ask him. Let's do that now. Father, I'm thankful for your words to us in the Bible. God, without you, I wouldn't know that I am loved by you. Without you telling me, I wouldn't know that there is an answer for my sin and my pain. Without you, I would be tempted to think that I'm too far gone for Jesus. But your word tells us Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask for those that are Christians here, that your kids, would you remind them of the goodness of the gospel right now? Would you remind them of your love for them? 
no matter where they're at in life, what they're struggling with, let them hear your voice saying, I love you. And would that well up in worship and confidence? And would you keep us awake? Would you make us be a church that just stays awake, that we wouldn't be swept away by false teachings, that we wouldn't be swept away by sin, but just protect us? And God, for those that you have brought here, that you love, that have not come to Jesus, help them to see that you've done everything for them to come. So I'm just gonna give you guys a minute and you just talk to the Father. Maybe you just need help walking through life, staying awake until Jesus comes back. Just ask him. Maybe this is for you to come to Jesus and say, I've been rejecting you, that day is over, take my sin, I'm in with you, Jesus. Whatever you need to do, talk to the Father right now.